Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would be exalted and honored as we uh, look into your scriptures and that you would speak to us and teach us. And, uh, and Father, prepare our hearts for this new year and what you have for us in it. Uh, may our faith increase. May our boldness increase. Uh, may our focus on you increase, Lord. Help, help us, Father, to, to follow your word and not the words of, of humans around us. And we ask your Holy Spirit would teach us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, for those who know their Bible, they go, oh man, that's a really cool passage. I'm stoked we're going over that one. Because <laughs> it, it's, an, it's an exciting one. It's about kind of, uh, you know, it's a little bit end times prophecy kind of stuff. And Paul um, has written the Thessalonians first Thessalonians. So we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And obviously that means there's a 1 Thessalonians. And really Thessalonians, the book of 1 Thessalonians was a book that was written to combat false teaching. Um, it was a book that stressed a lot of the Trinity, how to live a Christian life, uh, and the, the coming of Christ. And the coming of Christ is something that we saw in the book of 1 Thessalonians that had really uh, some events attached to it. So sometimes when you hear about the coming of Christ, you kind of lump everything together into one event. Like this is the event, the second coming of Christ. But the Bible kind of breaks things down into like different categories. There's different, if you will, stages to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, when I was young, man, I was totally into this when I got into the Bible. So coming, being a, growing up being like a stoner kid, you know, a Hesher, you know, with the Iron Maiden shirt and Judas Priest shirt, growing up riding bikes as a junior high kid. When I came to Jesus Christ, man, I was, I, I was really influenced by a lot of metal music. And growing up in Southern California and walking on Sunset Boulevard from the time I was 13 and going to see shows all the time, there was something that was interesting in the paradigm of the heavy metal culture of the 80s and the Sunset Strip culture in that time. And that was, the devil's going to come on the earth at some point. If you can believe it, that was like the big thing. I mean, that was like the thing. I mean, you have bands like Iron Maiden that wrote whole books off the Antichrist is coming and things like that. And I mean, it was something that all of us kids were like, just like, whoa. You know, because we weren't biblical kids. We didn't know the Bible at all. I didn't know a Christian at all. And it's like, for us, that really kind of impacted the soul. Like, man, there's evil, there's good. And man, you know, it's like, gosh, man. And even though we're going evil, you know, the evil route. We know that it's not the right route. And so biblical prophecy definitely took a hold of my life. And uh, so it's always been a fun study for me to kind of look into these passages. So 1 Thessalonians broke down a little bit about these stages of the end times. Uh, they talk, it talked about the rapture of the church. Have you ever heard about that? The catching up of the church, the church um, would be actually literally caught up together with Christ to meet the Lord in the air. And, and then it also talks about this, the, the literal second coming of Christ to judge the world. So there's these two events that were spoken of in the book of First Thessalonians, plus many other topics, like I said, the Trinity, um, things of that nature. Now, 
in order to understand where we're going to be at today, um, we've got to kind of answer a question, and that is, who are the Thessalonians? So I'm going to read from the book of Acts, chapter 17, real quick, 17, 1 through 11, just to give us a little bit of background of who these people are, because, you know, the Bible's written in, in a history, and so Thessalonians, uh, they were from Thessalonica, and so we want to read about this and just see kind of a little bit of the background. So in Acts 17, 1 through 11, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Now when it says they, it means Paul, Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, and his companions. So they came to these areas and they ended up in Thessal Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, and his, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So you can see the emphasis that was presented to the Thessalonian church. It was who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah, um, explaining to them the gospel that Jesus had to raise from the dead. So this is what was being explained to this, this place, this, this new territory that Paul ends up in. And he says, And some of them were persuaded in a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Isn't that a cool title for the Christians back then? Those who have turned the world upside down. I don't know what your life's like, but hopefully you're turning the world a little upside down, you know, meaning um, you're making a dent, you're, you're impacting your culture a little bit. And it says, um, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, contrary to the decrees of the hegemony, right? The power structure, the plutocracies, the, you know, the, 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 the ruling class, if you will. The Christians act contrary to the ruling class. Isn't that cool? Something to think about already in your brain, Okay. It says, remember, Jesus hung on a cross because he went against the hegemony, the ruling powers of his day. These who have turned the world upside down, it says, and they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So turmoil, trial, tribulation, they end up going to Berea in a kind of a, an escape mission. It says, when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews, and these, those of Berea, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So Paul did not have a lot of time in Thessalonica, right? We see he only had really three weeks in, in person, and that was it. And therefore, the discussions that he had with them on the end times were really important and vital. 
But because it was such a short period of time, there was obviously room to have a lot of confusion over what Paul shared. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody talk about uh, end time prophecy, and your Bible is a lot dominated by this kind of literature, prophetic literature, but sometimes it can be a little challenging. You know, if you haven't read the whole Bible, you might be like, wow, that's, that's intense stuff, you know? And so these, this young church took in all this teaching of Paul the apostle in three weeks, and it must have been intense, right? Because Paul was quite the speaker, you know? And he was a university guy. The guy went to university. He was very smart, very intellectual, um, but he could just take the stuff, the cookies off the, off the you know, off the high part, right? And he can give them to the people. And he was giving them to babes in Christ, the, this teaching of the end times. That's how important, by the way, the end times teaching is. These people just came to know Jesus Christ. And what is Paul teaching them? Prophecy. Jesus is coming back. There's something very important in your life um, to help regulate you as a Christian, and that is understanding that Jesus is coming back again. So, it's important that we share it. So it, their, their life is also contrasted by the Bereans. It says the Bereans, when they got there, were more fair-minded than those of Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. So the Thessalonians were very much open to false teaching. Why? Because they did not search the scriptures daily. Whatever I teach, whatever anybody teaches, you guys should be searching the scriptures daily. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, if you're listening to someone teach on the Bible, you should be someone that searches it out. Hey, is what they're talking about true? Let me search out the scriptures. There's no one that stands at a pulpit that is above error. No one who stands at a pulpit that's above error. We all make mistakes. And so those of Berea were those that searched out the scriptures. And so what has Paul already addressed? I already talked about that. He talked about the stages of the last time, some of those stages. Um, talked about the rapture, talked about uh, the day of the Lord, and we'll talk more about that. Um, and now we're going to get into our text. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of the Lord had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So we see right off the bat in this passage that they're dealing with false teaching. Let no one deceive you. By what? Verse 3 said, any means, and he talks about uh, in verse 2 that whether it's they're shaken in mind or whether they're troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, meaning there was someone that was writing or someone who was um, being like an imposter, an apostle, imposter, um, really tricking the church of Thessalonica um, as to what really was the end times about. 
and the events that the end times, um, what was going to happen. And so we see that in verse 2, it says, Don't be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as though the day of Christ, or that could be translated, the day of the Lord has come. Now, the day of the Lord is something that the church of Thessalonica would know something about. And the reason why is because the, the day of the Lord is something that was spoken of in, in the Old Testament. If you've read the Old Testament, and by the way, when I came to Christ, that's where I started, was in the Old Testament. You know, the book of Genesis just started reading, you know, and, and maybe it's because I didn't go to church first where they say, hey, start in the book of John. I just started reading on my own and I opened it and it said, begin, you know, book of Genesis. And I thought that's the beginning and just started reading. And, uh, but when you start reading that way, you get to things like the day of the Lord and you read about this thing called the day of the Lord and, and it's kind of this awesome day. Let me read you some passages. I always find it fascinating. It's like, you think the day of the Lord would be awesome, huh? You think it would be something where you'd go, man, that's so great. I can't wait for the day of the Lord. But this is how the Old Testament puts it. Amos chapter five, verse 19. It will be like a man who flees from a lion only to encounter a bear or who enters his house and rests his hand against a wall only to be bitten by a snake. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even gloom with no brightness in it? Woo. So you get the idea that the day of the Lord is a day that's pretty hardcore. It, ha it has to do with some judgment. The book of Joel 1.15 says this, Alas, for the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. So all these passages on the day of the Lord that the church of Thessalonica would be familiar with because they met at the synagogue. They were Jewish people, most of them. So they understood the day of the Lord, that it was a time of great destruction and judgment and calamity and persecution and trial, a trial like no other before. They were kind of worried that, you know, of what these false teachers were saying. The false teachers were saying, hey, guess what, man? We're in it. We're in it right now. And that freaked him out a bit and made him go, gosh, man, we're in it right now? Holy cow, you know? And I don't know about you, but that wouldn't be really encouraging, you know, if I said to you right now, hey, we're in the day of the Lord. If you knew your Bible and you knew what the day of the Lord meant, you would be like, you wouldn't be like, right on, we're in the day of the Lord. You would be like, oh my gosh, like, here we go. You know, and, you know, growing up a Metallica fan, you know, we, we, you know, songs like the Four Horsemen and stuff, things like that. And, of course, those are biblical themes, right? We'll, we'll get to the Four Horsemen pretty soon in, in uh, our study in the book of Revelation. But, man, when you, you know, you know read the Four Horsemen, you don't go like, yeah, that's going to be awesome. You know, when you read about the Four Horsemen, you go, dude, I hope I'm not around, Right? It's like, who wants to be around when the four horsemen are unleashed, right? And if you don't know that, you need to read your Bible. Stop reading other things. Maybe stop reading YouTube and stop reading all the other things you're listening to. Because there's always false prophets. And false prophets come in many different shapes and sizes, Today, we are dealing probably with the most false prophets ever on the planet. The influence of false teaching is massive. Massive. And I don't have to tell you just how influential the prophets of today are. If there's anything the last year, two years has seen, 
is that they're pretty powerful. And they can move the world and move societies in directions very, very quick. And if there's anything that you need to be is very much aware of what the Bible teaches about these days that we're living in right now. And so false prophets influenced this church and told them, hey, we're in the last days right now. And we have many false prophets today who say, oh, don't worry about Jesus. Don't, don't think about Christ. Don't think about Jesus' words. Think about the professor at the university's words. Their words matter more than Jesus. Think about the, the people who are in power. Think about their words. Their words are more powerful than Jesus. Is that true? Is the people who rule the worlds more powerful than the Lord? More powerful than Jesus? Be careful of who you listen to, what you're taking in, because there's false prophets all over the place. And Jesus told us that many false prophets would come, did he not? He said, hey, many false prophets will come. And people will say, hey, look, there he is. There's that one. There's this one. There's that one. Listen to that person. So we got to be on our guard. The church of Thessalonians was getting uh, told something different. They were, to- they were being shaken in mind. And the question comes, are you guys shaken in mind? Am I shaken, shaken in mind by the things that I hear? Meaning, are things knocking me off my game is as far as my Christian life, as far as my Christian walk? Is there things I listen to, the people that I listen to, the things on internet that I listen to, that's getting you, it's so shaking you that it's moving you away from your Christian life and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Something really to think about. So it says in verse three, let no one deceive you. And I love that. Let no one deceive you. Paul seems to indicate that this day of the Lord will not come unless, meaning Paul says, hey, we can compare what the false prophets are saying to what the word of God says. And this is how you go about your Christian life. If you want to not be shaken in mind and and, in your spirit, then always compare what you're hearing to the Bible. Compare it with it. You know, when I was at college, whatever the professor said, I compared it to the Bible. And I went, ah, that doesn't sound right. You know, that doesn't sound like it agrees with the Bible. I don't think I'm going to believe that. You know, listen to the news. Is the news saying something that's contrary to the word of God? Is propaganda that's being put out, is that contrary to the word of God? And you always want to compare what you're hearing to the word of God. Now, let me ask you, if you're not comparing it to the word of God, then you are comparing it to something. And most people just take it in and just go, you know, that's how I was before I came to Christ. It's just whatever was going on, you just kind of go along with it. And there's this thought in your mind that thinks like, oh, they have my best interest in mind. That's usually our thought, you know. People really, now, do people really have your best interest in mind? Do you guys know human nature really well? <laughs> if you're a student of human nature, you know that we are, man, we are some people that can be coerced 
and manipulated and you put money in front of us and we will move and we will hurt and we will kill and history bears it out. We will do atrocities like no other, right? Very hard to trust the human condition. For me, when I came to Jesus Christ, I said, I think I'm gonna trust Jesus, man. Jesus seems far better than these other people. Now, Paul says, hey, compare the word of God. Let no one deceive you by any means, verse three, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The falling away is the apostasy. That's what the word falling away means, apostasia. Apostasy, you might have heard that word before, but it's not a cool word. It's not like a great word. It's not a positive word. It's a negative The Bible teaches that there will be a falling away that will precede this second coming of the Lord, this day of the Lord, this day of darkness and not light. So what will happen before this event, this great event called the day of the Lord, there will be a falling away that will happen. An apostasy comes first. It's not that the end times... um, world will not be religious. It will be fully religious. It will just be a different kind of religion. People go, I hate Christianity. When I was growing up, that's how I was. I hate Christianity, Christianity. But I was such a religious dude, man. I was so wrapped up in my own prophets, in my own pastors, in my own teachers, in my own evangelist. You know, I had my own set, my own crew of people that I listened to all the time. They were always in my ear. You know, today we have a hundred year educational, teaching of humanism in the United States, secular humanistic education that has dominated our schools and our universities that has happened, very highly religious uh, philosophical teaching and ideology. It's not that it's without religion, it's full-blown religion. It just has, it, it has, it throws out the deity. It throws out the deity and exalts another kind of deity. Now, Frederick Nietzsche, you guys might have heard of him, a philosopher, God is dead. He totally warned the world that this was going to happen. He said, guess what? You throw out God, you say God is dead, it's not a good thing. Something is going to replace God, the deity, and it will be humans. And what do we exalt more than ever today in this culture? Narcissism. You cannot tell anybody that they are wrong. You cannot question anything about them. What they think about themselves is of most importance in the culture. That is what we call narcissistic behavior. That's what we've turned to. We've turned inward on the deity is us now. That's what's happened. The falling away comes first. There is a falling away. Even in the church, there will be a falling away. The Bible speaks of this in 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 3, Revelation 17 and 18. Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? And so it goes on and it says, the falling away will come first and the man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition. So what about this man of sin? This is no doubt the rise of what we call the Antichrist or the one who is against Christ, the false Messiah. He will be a Messiah. There will be a person that this world will exalt as the Messiah. And guess what? This world seems to be pretty, pretty ripe for that, don't you think? Man, they are so, we are such worshipers at heart. When we are, especially when we're cooked by fear, 
Meaning when fear is ruling our minds, we will exalt anybody. Anybody who will give us hope. Hope of safety. We'll be moved pretty quick as human beings. Well, the Antichrist will come on the scene, it says. So the falling away comes first before the day of the Lord. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Uh, wow, not a good, good uh, title. Daniel 9, Daniel 11 talks about this. Uh, I'm going to quote 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. says, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. This is how we know it is the last hour. Meaning this idea of lawlessness continues to grow in the culture. The, uh, this, this antichrist culture continues to permeate and thrive. And, um, and this is something that the Bible says will happen before this coming of the day of the Lord, that this person will be revealed. And so, let's move on. It says, and it says, those who oppose and he, or this son of, this man of sin will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God. Very interesting, right? All that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So the Antichrist will come on the scene and he will oppose everything of God the true and living God. He will exalt himself above all that is uh, about the true and living God and that he will be worshiped and he will sit as God and be worshiped as God. The whole world will literally give their allegiance to the Antichrist. And Paul, again, says to the church of Thessalon uh, Thessalonica, hey, the, the, the people that are false teachers that are teaching you that you guys are all in the day of the Lord, they don't know the Bible. The Bible says this person will come on the scene before the end happens. So be aware of that. That's what Paul is saying. So when someone says, hey, it's the end, we're in the end right now, you have to say, well, not yet. Because we know that the falling away has to come first. We know that the Son of Man has to be revealed. This person will be uh, exalt himself above God or all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God. He will demand allegiance, showing himself that he is God. And he says, do you not know that when I was with you, I told you these things? And says, so now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. There is a restrainer that we're introduced to in verse 6. Something that is restraining this, this antichrist from being on the scene or being revealed. And it says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And that's what we just read in 1 John. This idea of lawlessness. And it says, but he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And I love this. The word taken is genomai in the Greek. And I'm no Greek scholar, but I've done, I remember when I first got into prophecy, I did cool word studies all the time. A word study is, by the way, where you take a word in the Bible and you kind of find out where it's used in other places. And when I, when I did studies on this word, and I remembered it when I was in a teach today. I thought, oh man, I should share a little bit about this. But this word, this is what, how it could be translated. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is thundered, awakened, vanished, 
altered, assembled, and married out of the way. Because the word genomai is used as thundered, awakened, vanished, altered, assembled, and married. That's how that word is used in the New Testament. So when you put all the ways the word is used in the New Testament, you start going, who is this restrainer who now restrains this antichrist and who will be taken out of the way? Who is this person? And there's no doubt that it's pretty clear. Who is going to be taken out of the way and married? Who is going to be who is going to be married out of the way? That sounds kind of weird, right? Who will be vanished? Well, Paul already spoke about that in the book of 1 Thessalonians. He said at the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will receive Christ, will meet the Lord in the air, will be caught up. That's where the word rapture comes, comes in. We will be caught up together with Christ to meet the Lord in the air, and forever we will be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words, Paul says. There is a restraining work of the Holy Spirit that's going on in the world. Now the Holy Spirit indwells the church, John chapter 14, verse 17, John 14, 23 through 24, John 16 through verse seven. This is the Holy Spirit indwells the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit has the power to restrain anything, including Satan, we're gonna see that in verse nine. And the Holy Spirit's total removal, meaning if the Holy Spirit were to be totally removed from the earth, pretty radical idea. Uh, In the book of Job, chapter 34, verse 15, it says, uh, it means it would be literally the removal of everybody on the planet. We would all die. And that's in Job 34, verse 15. So the Holy Spirit does have a restraining effect on what's happening on this planet right now. And there is a restraining that will happen, um, or that is happening now, but that will be removed. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit will totally be removed from its work during the last days, but there will be a influence certainly within the body of Christ that when the rapture happens, there will be no more body of Christ on this planet. That's what the rapture teaches that we will actually be caught up, we will be with Christ, and then this world will go through a tribulation period. The day of the Lord is at hand, and it's not just one day. It's like when you said back in the day, right? Has anybody ever said that before? Back in the day, man, that was hardcore, what we did back in the day, you know? Well, it doesn't mean one day, right? It means there was a time, and that's what the Bible says about the day of the Lord. It's a period of time. Specifically, we see a seven-year period of time. The last three and a half periods of this time is called the Great Tribulation. Pretty radical time, you know. But notice it says, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So pretty exciting. Revelation chapter 19, 17 through 21 talks about this. So it's, it's going to happen when this church is taken out of the mist, out, out uh, its influence is gone, and then it says the, uh, at the, during the time of this day of the Lord, um, the culmination of this day of the Lord, 
the Antichrist will be destroyed. The lawless one will be destroyed. Now it says in verse nine, the coming of the lawless one is according with the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And it says, for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that we, they should believe the lie, that they will be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, this is such a wake-up call, this section right here. I mean, just look at it and let the Spirit just speak to you a little bit on this. Unrighteous deception Unrighteous deception is something where when it's happening, it's not that you go, hey, you know, most people aren't gonna be like, wow, you know, I'm being deceived right now. Most people will just go along with it. For whatever reason, they will. Maybe because they wanna extend their life more. They're afraid to die or they're afraid of something, so they extend, they, they, they will go this direction. But it is a deception, and we have to be alert that there is a unrighteous deception that is coming. And it says those who perish, they perish because, check this out, they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And the question comes to me is, Bo, what do you love? What do I love? Am I a lover of the truth, or what am I a lover of? And, the, and you have to ask that question too. What are you a lover of? I mean, when I was in my teens, I had to ask that question a lot. What am I a lover of? I'm a lover of guitar. That's what I did. I played guitar, Southern California guy. I love to surf. I love to, you know, go skiing. But what I, was I a lover of the truth? Could I understand what is true? And it begs the question, does truth matter? I always ask people, does truth matter? They go, oh no, truth doesn't matter. Well, truth doesn't matter, is that true? What do you mean truth doesn't matter? Right, you talk to college kids today and they're confused on just the simplest terms, the simplest things. Truth matters. When you go to your bank, truth matters, man. You know, I don't know about you guys, but it matters what's in the account, you know? Truth does matter. There is truth. Are you a lover of truth? If you're not, you will, you, you will listen to, you'll listen to some other person. And is that person a worthy object, an authority of truth to you? You know, is, is Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden, the singer, is he the, a worthy authority of truth to Bo? Is he the guy I should be listening to as far as my eternity goes? Is that the guy? No, I don't want to listen to Jesus, man. No way, because I want to listen to this guy. See, am I a lover of truth? See, people won't, will be, they'll be deceived because they don't love the truth. You know, if, you know, you have to know what a good dollar bill looks like. If you don't, and I give you Monopoly money, you're just gonna take it and go, man, that's great, I got 100 bucks. And I'm gonna say, no, man, that's Monopoly money. You go, uh-uh, because you don't know what the truth is. You don't know what a real $100 bill looks like. 
See, if you're not a lover of truth, you're gonna, you're gonna just follow what every, all of us do as human beings. You'll just follow your teachers. You'll follow the YouTube person. You'll follow everybody. Jesus called this the blind leading the blind. This is what he called it. And because there is a fear of death in human beings, we will latch onto those things that promise us a future. And it don't matter what they teach, we will hold to it. That is what we need to overcome. Jesus said, do not fear, I have overcome the world. He who believes in me, though you die, you will live. Do you believe this? This is Jesus' promise. He who comes to me will never die. Never die. I have overcome the world. This is what Jesus' message. Don't fear those who kill your body. Don't fear it, Bo. Don't fear it, Bo. And this is the message of Christ that we need to trust in his words and be a lover of truth. And when I love that word, love of the truth, I define that as Jesus, by the way. Love of the truth. If you read it with that in mind, it says this, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive Jesus that they might be saved. Jesus is the love of the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He said, unless you hate your life in this world, you will lose it. You need to have a necessary hating of my life, meaning there needs to be a necessary putting down. Uh, There needs to be a necessary of not wanting to just live to live for for living's sake. I need to lose my life in Jesus. Read John chapter 12, and you'll see that very powerful. And so this is, this is the hope we have in that we have a hope in Jesus that the people on this earth are going to face the day of the Lord, a time of judgment and extreme trial. But those who are in Christ, man, it says we have passed from death to life, from judgment to life. We've already moved away from judgment. We have been received by Jesus. And how did Jesus show this? By a wonderful night he was with his disciples where he he gathered with them during the Passover Seder and he said, hey, and he took the third cup, the cup of redemption in the Passover meal that was four cups of wine and he takes the third one and the cup of redemption to redeem you. I've come to buy you out of slavery to fear. And he takes that cup and he says, this is the, the, the covenant that's written in my blood in my body. I am entering into a new covenant with you. So you don't have to fear. You don't have to be caught off guard or nothing like that. We don't have to be deceived. We can become really aware of what's going on in the world, what the world's preparing for, and what we're preparing for. And what, what are we preparing for? The church, the body of Christ, those who know Christ, to be with them forever. We're waiting for him to come and 
and snatch us out of here. So the worship team's gonna come on up and they're gonna lead us into some songs and we're gonna, we're gonna partake of some communion together and we always do so with a joyful heart, knowing that Jesus has saved us, that we're, verse 13 of the Thessalonians passage says we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. We are bound to give thanks to God. Hopefully you give, are, are ready to give thanks to God. Why? Because God from the beginning chose us for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 15 it says, Therefore, brethren, what? Stand fast. Stand fast in your call. And that's an important word, right, for us? to stand fast, to hold to the teachings that we've been taught. So let, let us not be caught off guard by so many of the other interesting prophets of the world, but instead be focused on this, this year, maybe, rededicating our heart to learning the Bible and studying the Bible. And so let's pray and just dedicate our hearts and be thankful to God for this wonderful salvation we just read about. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you have chosen us for salvation through sanctification by your spirit in the truth. We thank you that it's by grace that we've been saved, uh, that we have that wonderful comfort to know that you have saved us. And Father, uh, Lord, I'm always so thankful that you've forgiven me and, uh, and that you've moved me away from so many of the false teachings that I've been caught up with in this world. And... Lord, have brought me to your word. Such a wonderful, firm stability that's in your scriptures. What a firm foundation for our souls. Father, we pray that uh, our hearts would be uh, just yoked with yours. Uh, That, Lord, any fear that we have in our life uh, would melt away in light of your promises to us. Uh, We thank you, Father. We pray that you would prepare our hearts now to partake of communion. Father, you would uh, just teach us in Jesus' name. Amen.